Hi, I'm Gauri Chalati-Lam and welcome to the Business of Building, a personal message from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Today, I'm joined by Wesley Thompson, who is the head of ESG for UK and Europe for the global real estate advisory firm, Avison Young, based out of London. Wesley has over 17 years of experience in ESG and has advised government cities and large corporates across the globe on their decarbonisation journeys. The past seven years specifically, Wesley has been focused on global smart cities and the commercial real estate sector. He's seen as one of the industry's leading international experts on ESG and has had an incredible career to date with much more ahead, I'm sure of that. His future focus lies about in expanding ESG into the new markets over the years, such as Middle East and Africa, specifically Asia-Pacific region. Wesley and I have been friends for over one and a half decades. Makes me feel very ancient there. He has been to a wedding and that's saying something. I've always admired Wesley's tenacity, his survivor spirit, and above all, his passion for ESG. Starting his journey in the energy sector, believing in real estate and ESG, having a bigger part to play in the future when a lot of the players were still struggling to see how that works and continuing that passion and evolving into being an absolute leader in the ESG sector for the changing world. I wanted to explore with Wesley what he thinks holds for us in the future of ESG. And without further ado, thank you so much, Wesley, for joining us today at Business of Building. Thank you, Gary, and it's great to join you. I think um, especially on topics like this when uh, so much of the world is changing at the moment, So, uh, and particularly with somebody like yourself where ESG is is a big part of what you do on a day-to-day basis. So to answer your question, it's rather long-winded, but you know, I, I like many, fell into the industry. I moved with the trends that I was seeing in, in, in the market and, and followed my passion. Originally, I started in energy trading, which then evolved into looking after facilities management, which became sustainability to a large extent. And organizations have evolved since then. You know, we, we used to see corporate social responsibility reports going out. And that used to be what you could sort of define as, as, a, as a business's social uh, application to the, the, the way they would engage. And, and subsequent to that, I also followed where the technology market was going. And with that, saw a huge engagement with the real estate market beginning and transitioned into global smart cities and focusing in on large-scale infrastructure projects and realizing within that there was a tremendous amount of CO2 emissions coming from the, the built environment. At the time, you know, you're looking six, seven years ago, very little was known about that. And whilst you know, sustainability and energy efficiency was the top of the agenda, you know, ESG as a whole and net zero hadn't really been truly formulated to the extent, and especially in the real estate sector. So uh, you know, I, I realized there's a lot more to be done. I felt a genuine passion to trying to do something a bit different and something where I could have a greater impact. And with that, I, I went from you know focusing in on these large-scale projects with cities and governments and, and large corporates and moved more into the real estate side. And I have to say, it's been a, it's been a fabulous move. Uh, it was risky, but has truly paid off in the sense that the entire industry has gone from you know uh, looking at sustainability as an added bonus to now seeing it uh, and you know across the ESG space as a real core and integrated in everything that we now see in, in, the, in the industry. So 
fabulous time to be involved. And I've been very fortunate that, um, you know, I'm now in, 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 a, in an excellent company with the Navis and Young. And, you know, uh, we're set to make some real difference uh, in impacting that, you know, the CO2 and, and social and governance side of real estate. It's quite interesting. Uh, if I may go back to one of the things you have said, several things I've, I would like to go back on, to be honest, but the first one would be, you said that the, and also because I've known you for a long time and the bit you have always been up against, as it were, as headwinds are now becoming tailwinds for you uh, because you have been talking about sustainability and ESG CSR then, as you said as well, and that's another topic to be talked about, but uh, now it's this name of ESG. You've started speaking about it probably a bit ahead of its time, if I may say, and what what challenges did you have at the time and how how has that helped you through your journey to where you are today in a way, because probably now the reception is a bit different. So how did you tackle the challenges at the time and still stay on course as it were? Yeah, very interesting and great question. You know, the, the biggest barrier that I was always overcoming in the industry when I used to bring this topic up was always about the commercial viability to it. It still comes up, you know, you know recognition of the fact that energy efficiency is, is easier to quantify it's something you can you can put something in, you can see a, a potential outcome immediately or as long as you're monitoring. And the big challenge really was for an industry to understand how the full scope of ESG could actually impact them, particularly around the social side. Social is not easy to quantify. You know, it's it's still it's still being looked at in a way of how could we we do a better job of you know, optimizing it. But in order to optimize anything, you have to know what you're doing and how it's going first, and then look to 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 see what you can what you can change and how that change affects people. And then with that, you know, comes a lot of governance. The biggest challenges have been around the commercial viability of all of that. I remember meeting with a developer many years ago who said to me, "Why would I do this uh, if if you cannot prove to me that for one pound spent, I get you know three back?" That's how we operate. That's our business model. I, I can tell you that same developer is 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 heavily involved in ESG now, and that's not even four years, uh, you know, four years on. The other big big challenge is regulation. You know, we've seen a, a complete transformation in particularly the UK, but you know, on a global basis, it's it's going around how regulation is really holding you know accountability, uh, with holding into account companies and and the way they operate. I spoke earlier about a CSR report in 2008, CSR reports, everyone was doing great, wonderfully. You know, uh, the reality behind that is now that there is a, a need for genuine monitoring and reporting on not just the environmental side, but the social and governance side. And that has really changed, you know, that challenge depends your view, uh, whether you're a forward thinker or, or, or you prefer to sit on the bench and, and, and risk a lot. But the reality is, is whilst it's a challenge, it's also an incredible opportunity. And people that are embracing ESG and seeing the opportunities that can come from that, both in terms of attracting employees, but also the opportunities that exist with clients and stakeholders and investment opportunities, it can really truly be a differentiator in the marketplace if if you if you look to embrace it. So it's not just about the commercial value anymore that people will see and and it's now to a large extent regulated, monitored, 
driven and you know it is about innovation and business continuity and also a word that i've heard a lot over the past 12 to 18 months it's about risk mitigation and people understand risk in businesses they do and esg is both an opportunity a differentiator but also a risk if it's not applied properly and actions speak louder than words and i think we're going to see a lot of that in the future in the next you know couple of years around people making dedicated uh, you know, ambitions and targets around ESG that are going to have to start to report on the progress that they're making. So that is a challenge. Technology is a challenge and digitalization of it and monitoring. But there is a lot of opportunity and I can go on all day, but that's those are some of the key things is regulation, kicking in uh, mindset and, and also just uh, the, the recognition of the commerciality of, of ESG. It's uh, quite an interesting one as well, because I'm involved in the SME sector quite a lot. And uh, that probably brings a question to my head would be, you know, in the SME world, you have got a smaller business who is uh, survival becomes more of a more of a topic. And then uh, you do your E quite naturally, as you said, you try to do your S as it were, but then the governance kicks in. And then the, the how do how does a small business break that barrier of having someone dedicated to do the accounting part. And I've always kind of tried to think of it from the other perspective and from your experience, like, are there any tips? Uh, uh, is there like a go-to formula, what people can apply? There's no silver bullet to, the, to, 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 to ESG, but every organization has its own individual, you know, characteristics of what they do. In some cases, being a smaller organization, eliminates a lot of the greater issues you might have around, you know, scale and portfolio sizes that you might have to deal with. I mean, certainly in our business, you know, we're a big business. We've got a lot of, you know, at the heart of our business, we've got, you know, nearly 5,000 people. We've set over 100 offices in, in countries all over the world. The task becomes that much magnified, that much more magnified. The issue within a smaller organization is some of the costs associated with ensuring that you are reporting on it, you're monitoring it. My tip is everything stands, uh, and, and pardon the pun from the industry, but it's all about foundation. It's all about ensuring that you have the right technology, the right attitude towards ensuring that you're, you know what you've got, you know what data is coming in, you know how you're engaging in your business and you're applying that governance to everything that you do. At an early stage in a growing business, it's important to integrate the ESG factors you might not need as great, big scaled operationally as bigger businesses, but you can still apply the same principles within your organization. It's the right thing to do. So the tips are really integrate ESG early on in your business. And even though it's an SME, within that, again, there is significant opportunities for diversification, for opening up talent pools. We just talk about diversity and inclusion for a minute there, but you know the, the, the transformation of the workplace has had a profound impact on you know allowing you know diverse and inclusive talent pools to be opened up it's no longer an absolute necessity to be located directly in the city um it, you know or close to in order to get in 5 days a week i think that the, the 5 day week is a, is a relic as far as i'm concerned and and what we're seeing in this this new hybrid uh, working has created a, an entirely new opportunity. And with that also, we, we've all realized parental care, 
or caring in general for somebody with disabilities or something, it, you know, this creates an opportunity for somebody like that who has immense talent and capability to be able to operate from home and still do what they need to do as a carer, a primary carer, as well as also opening up talent pools in other regions. The costs of living near a city is no longer necessary. I think certainly there's a big migration, I think, of a lot of people wanting to live further out, you know, and, and good for it because, you know, we all, we all, get to engage more with our families and enjoy time and you know post-COVID world I think the importance to that is is incredible and that creates a much happier workforce a much more driven workforce that you know is passionate and not overly exerted so there's a lot of you know opportunities that have come and and SMEs can really embrace those as the foundation of their business moving forward and and creates fantastic opportunities for growth. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, the one thing which stands out to me is the, the reference to COVID you made there as well, because it has changed and shifted the way people think, including companies, bigger companies and corporates and what they do with their portfolio. So has that been a topic of discussion along with the ESG? And I'm, you know where I'm going with this. It's like the new trends, isn't it? What trends are you seeing coming into the industry alongside making sure that we are sustainable, the portfolios are sustainable. Are there any other trends to look out for? There's a lot of trends, probably too many to go through in one go. But I, I think the, the, the reality is, if I look at people coming back and how they perceive their workplace, people want, and particularly in the commercial real estate industry, I think you know, people want to know that they're coming to a secure, engaging environment. The workspace in its entirety, I think, has changed quite significantly. It's about people engagement as much as it is, I mean, you come into the office as much as it is getting tasks done. The innovation and imagination and ideas that comes to an office, you can't necessarily get at home. So as much as I talk about the opportunity of hybrid working, there is a lot of benefit to being able to still come into the office, you know, two, three days a week. That is what, you know, essentially is, is hybrid. But to that extent, I think the trends are People want to feel a part of the office. They don't want to just go to a desk, put the earphones in and just look at a screen all day. That was the kind of world that sort of existed before COVID. Post-COVID, it's about creating a workspace that allows for that engagement and, 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 uh, and imagination and ideas to be generated. And I also feel, you know, a lot of the younger generation in the industries and emerging uh, you know, this is there has been a real trend where if I look at real estate in particular, it has opened up immensely to new ideas coming in, new startups that might have had innovation opportunities that may not have had access to the real estate sector before. As as for real estate companies, it's a, it's investment opportunities for them and diversification. But there there is another element that comes into that. It means that you have a much more dynamic workforce on board that are bringing fresh industry ideas to into this from you know digitalization to complete transformation of even energy and sustainability coming into the industry and and with that i think you'll see a uh, not just a revolution but also an entire evolution of the industry as a whole and you know there's a there's an awareness that there is a need for that a refresh anyway and I don't, I don't think the workplace will disappear or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's actually going to increase. We're actually seeing more people taking up space um, than before. It's just different use of that space. And I think that's great. And, and, and if I will, the last trend I'll note, the technology and innovation that has come out of the COVID, I, you know, if, you, if you see as a real benefit of 
what is a horrible situation. You know, we have advanced exponentially in our technological capability to operate. And you can see that in our business. And I think it's, uh, you know, it just creates a really dynamic environment now where we can brainstorm, we can operate from anywhere, really. And I think that's fabulous. And our clients, you know, are on the same boat. So I think that's a, it's a really fabulous uh, transformation and trend. I guess a uh, technology you have always been involved in, in some form or the other, even through the journey into the sustainability environment is smart cities. And do you see that is, you know, it's going to happen more and more in the industry? Is that, is that something you're seeing as well? Yeah, and we have to, and we have to invest in it. I think it was a PwC report that I saw that said that the, in the past decade, we've had as much technological advancement as we, as we have seen in the past 500 years, that's how fast technology is shifting. I think the reality is that onto itself is still not enough. Being blunt, in order to achieve net zero you know, aspirations, particularly by 2050, I mean, the, the technology advancement that needs to happen, particularly in the real estate and built environment, is significantly faster paced than it needs to be faster than what we're seeing. And with that, the change of the requirements of employees and customers and suppliers are driving this force. But there's other things, you know, it's just simply good health, you know, air quality monitoring systems, etc. And within the retrofit environment in commercial real estate, it's incredible what we're seeing in the sense that, you know, 80% of the buildings that you see today will be around in 2050. So, you know, retrofit, you know, and regeneration and reuse of buildings is absolutely essential. And with that is a requirement for new advancements and technologies and as well as materials and the way we use that. And in order to achieve, you know, ongoing net zero requires the supply chain to rethink the products that they use, how we use it, how we construct things. You know, circularity and waste has been a huge topic of conversation. Best way to, in the same way with energy, the best way to uh, to save on it is not to use it, right? And the same applies to materials, uh, circularity, never throwing it away or, or finding another home for it or use for it. And these are the kind of things that I think create immense opportunities for big businesses, but in particular for startups and innovation technology providers. And we as an industry need to incentivize these organizations by creating the opportunities for them to come in and not just isolating it to just big organizations. I think there's uh, there's immense implementation projects that people can be involved in. And I would give advice to say, you know, don't be scared to do that. And, and as organizations, don't be scared to look at partnering and, 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 and hearing some of these, these providers out. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because just on the term you said about rest restoring the buildings which we have and retrofitting, being involved with FHPSS who are working with a lot of landlords and commercial developments and stuff, it's one of the things which is you're designing but not thinking just of the design to give to the client now, but thinking is this going to give the client what they need today and tomorrow and day after and make sure that it's not a dead asset in 2050 because it's not reached a certain potential and then they have to invest a lot of capital so and which brings me to the point that have you seen a shift of the way capital is being invested as well as to how it's being allocated has that been because earlier it used to be the return of investment isn't it it's the what is my ROI? As you said, the developer you worked with, what is my ROI on this? And now the capital is being, are they thinking in the other way? Are they thinking at a different level where the money starts flowing? 
Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. There, there is premium to to having, call it a fit for future asset. There, there has been a transformation, I think, you know, across landlords too, as well as occupiers, in in wanting the same thing, but you know, understanding how to meet in an agreement point around financing and other things. There, there, there is always going to be a compromise, but I think the reality is is that we're all in this together. And as a result of that, having a longer term view is something that in real estate, we, we always do. How long a view depends on an organization or a landlord or investor. But I think equally, I think the way in which we're seeing the recognizing the fact that the asset is going to be around longer than, than perhaps it may have been before for some shorter term investors has created a, an awareness that you need to think more logically about what goes into the building. And also not just about that, but also how is that building then being used? It's one thing to have, for example, if you had a net zero building or asset, but it's another thing to ensure that it's optimized as such. And just by putting good technology in is part of what you need to do, but there's also the element of usage and optimization of that building. And that comes in many forms. It comes in awareness. It comes in, you know, training. It comes in supporting that optimization and ensuring that you're monitoring it. But yes, is the short answer. I'm seeing a lot of people seeing the real value in the longer term investment of, of the asset. And to be fair, in the potential resale or cost of retrofit in the future can be to some extent mitigated because the technology in the building or the, the, you know, the materials used ensures that it doesn't require that. So thus, there's not as much cost involved in the retrofit in the future. But it is a diverse industry and there are lots of different ways that businesses operate. But the general consensus is that, yes, there is a, a longer term value in investment around this. There's also an awareness around the social aspect of engaging with the community around assets. We, you know, to a large extent, that has been looked at before by many organizations and has been a conscious effort by many, but it's being more integrated now in terms of how thought process has gone into planning and things like that. And, and also just, you know, concentration on what kind of net zero or ESG targets organizations will have from investors and occupiers to ensure that they're also complying with regulations, which is a huge, huge thing. You know, the regulatory side has, has played a massive part in the way organizations are viewing this with EPC ratings, the requirement to achieve B, I think we all know. And there's also, you know, an element of awareness now from regulation that, you know, uh, next month we will be seeing a the FCA looking into greenwashing and, and creating some governance around it. I think there'll be a future around offsets being governed and certainly how we operate as an industry needs more regulatory bodies on it. Now it's it's so interesting, isn't it? And also one question comes to my mind would be, but it's more, you know, you have had this absolute fantastic journey. And if I may worked on a career and designed it in such a way, but it is, you are at the right person at the right time. And you've been passionate about this for a very long time. But if someone is trying to, is passionate about ESG and is trying to get into the industry with a particular angle on real estate, what would your advice be for that? How do you start? How do you get here? Great question. And there is just so many ways you could do that. It, it is ESG in particular is broad. There is a lot of aspects to it and lots of ways in which you can be involved in ESG. I think the important thing is to know you can't be everything to everyone. That's the first thing. It's a very broad. I, I, I have a fabulous team at Avis and Young. They are specialists in, in, in particular areas, but also have 
vast knowledge of the industry, but also around elements of ESG. And with that, I've, you know, their development in that and how they've come to be in that has come from different areas, uh, different, different backgrounds. And what I would say is, as an industry in real estate, as I mentioned before, we're opening up in terms of who we would take. You don't have to be a planner or a surveyor or any, you know, an architect anymore. You, you, you can come into real estate and, you know, whilst it seems like a niche and narrow, but the impact you can have is significant compared to to other industry sectors. And I think there, there is a real opportunity to, to be an innovator in this industry. And with that, in order to do that, you know, you need to you need to broaden your mindset and, and be willing to, to work with a very dynamic range of people and finding your your place and your niche in this. You know, don't be scared to make a mistake. I'll say that from my perspective. I think we've all in our careers made some mistakes. We've learned from those mistakes, and that's the important part, and you've got to move forward. And it's that mindset and that passion that will drive you through it. But you've got to enjoy what you're doing. I think we all want to go home at the end of the day and know that we've had some impact, that we can talk to our families and, and certainly the next generation and saying that we did what we could around uh, uh, you know, climate change. And with that mind, follow your, your passions, follow what you're interested in and where you what you believe in. And, and with it, the rest will follow. I, I strongly believe that. Don't be scared to ask questions and don't be scared to be engaged in different areas that you are comfortable with. Certainly, that builds a better character and builds a stronger willingness to succeed in life. And there's certain lots of things in real estate I don't always know about, but I, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to put myself in the middle of it and see if you can learn from it and, and surround yourself by, by experts in that area. And that's what, uh, what this industry is all about. It's about learning and diversifying and uh, adapting. That's what it's about. Yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Because, because the sector is moving so quickly now. It, has been, it hasn't for a while and now things are changing so rapidly. So it's like COP26 and then you have got the FCA approval coming. Like it's constantly, you have to keep like, do you have a, do you have a formula kind of thing where you are keeping up to date? Do you have to keep looking for information and keep making sure that you're always staying relevant as it were, isn't it? And that's, that's perhaps the key. Yeah, absolutely. The industry is moving very quickly, but by sheer nature of assets, they're there. How we use them, what we use them for might change and adapt. From a career perspective, it is about adapting and staying relevant, of course. But I think that innovation and the passion and ideas always needs to be coming from what's happening in the industry. Um, as much, you know, my career, you know, has moved in many different, different directions, but it's always followed where my passions are and ideally wanting to to make a difference. So that's what I would say to anyone, you know, just just follow follow what you feel is right and, and don't be scared to take on mentors. I, I think what you're doing in your program, I think is incredibly commendable. And what I would say is you've stood ahead of many and helped to create truly inclusive industry. And I think, you know, keep doing that. I think it's fantastic. And and I hope to be able to do more of that myself as, as my career advances, but absolutely. I just have the, we, we both have got little ones. So how, how does the balance work, like balance work for you? Because I get asked that question quite a lot. And, you know, being in the position you are and the amount of things you're involved in and leadership and having big teams all over the world, how, how does the work-life balance work? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and, and I wish I could say I was an absolute expert on it. But I think we're all we're, we're all at fault sometimes of bringing work home. But I always just try to remember why I'm doing it. You know, why am I at work? What am I doing this for? And to a large extent, there's always selfish reasons to that. But the main reason is always for the family. And and with that, you know, finding the right balance and looking after your family is important, as well as yourself. I was telling you before, I'd like to be able to try and get up at five in the morning and go for a run just so I can set my day up and try and keep myself healthy. But sometimes my, you know, six-year-old likes to wake up at five o'clock with me and, 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 you know, wants to run on the treadmill with me, which is not always as easy as it <laughs> Um, as, as I would like. So I think to that extent, it's just about finding a balance. Sometimes it's about, you know, just accepting, you know, uh, where you are and, and making sure that you prioritize what's right for you at that time. You should feel comfortable and driven in what you do. And it's the same should apply with your family. And it's important to find that balance. I think it's, it's not easy is the short answer. And, and, and many people I've met in my life have got it really are experts on this. And, I, and I, I genuinely look up to them because I think success is not necessarily measured by monetary side or power or anything. I think it's actually finding that balance, finding that perfect balance in life. Uh, that is real success. So I strive to find that and, and, and improve on that, just being content and happy in life. And I think we're all driven to do that. But that's something I think we all as as humanity have a balance to find. And, you know, I hope I get better at it. We're always looking for that balance, aren't we? It's uh, it's really. sometimes it shifts either way. And then you're always trying to bring it back to that level. Well, it's a custom here. The question, the question of the day is uh, what is the biggest risk you have taken and what have, what has been your learning from that? Yeah, uh, again, good question. I mean, I think probably the biggest risk I've taken in my career was to some extent, this is why I say, go for it if you if you think it's right. But, you know, in exactly the context of our conversation today, my moving into real estate was a risk when I decided to do it because it might never have gone the way it had. But, you know, I felt that there was a genuine need for something to happen. And as someone who is fairly determined and quite quite passionate if I if I decide something I made the risk to move into you know it wasn't a it wasn't a, a huge leap if I'm being honest I mean I was doing a lot of infrastructure work and, and things like that and supporting at a strategic level but I think you know it, it could have gone the other way and and the reality was it, it didn't and it, the messaging started to become clearer and clarity and understanding and knowledge started to improve across the industry and with that came the opportunities and, you know, strong leaders like Blackstone and others in the world who have really represented strong guidance around ESG have started to formulate pressure that I think we're all, we all know, we all know that this is the right thing to do. And I think in whatever industry you're in, it's, it's the right thing. But that was in my mind at the time, it was probably one of the riskier things I had done. But I also, I would also add to that, you know, starting my own company was risky. It was hard work around ESG. It, it wasn't easy. And I think at some point in our life, everyone has to go through that to understand the struggles and what it takes to, to, to run and, and continue to run a business. And at the same time, your point to find a work-life balance in the process. So, you know, I think those two, you asked for one, I gave you two, but those are the two things that I think in my career of, uh, of, and in life have been pretty risky but have gone okay. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Starting your own company and then it's just like you get to consume 
this organism of a company as it were living and breathing and understand all the aspects of what makes it tick kind of thing so it must have been an amazing experience of stressful i can imagine but yeah well absolutely and i think you know it becomes like a like a like a baby almost doesn't it you you nurture it and you get it to a point and absolutely and you you see how it grows but uh you know from my to to my side of thing i'd done as much as i wanted to do and and i decided to move back into uh, uh, the corporate world but i think i don't regret that at all i think it was the right thing for me at the time and and that's the thing you know you got to do you know hindsight is a wonderful thing but the reality is you got to do what's right for you at the right time and uh, and look forward uh, not so much backwards but learn yeah. along the way an interesting thing isn't it because when i go um uh, when i've spoken to some of the school students and stuff and they vision of a career is pretty much a to b it is like i'm starting here and that's where i want to go and the understanding is i'm going to go from here to there and these are the steps and i i pretty much like to say that if i look back or probably wesley i'm putting words in your mouth but if you look back on your career it wasn't it wasn't a straight line it's it's a very not probably messed up but definitely mine was it's like it's like why am i here i i aim to be there kind of thing and then you it all adds up in the end but it's uh it's never a straight line is it and that's what you need to appreciate i suppose no and it, and it never is and you know your time of your life dictates you know where the end point looks like no absolutely and uh, you know i've certainly been around different areas of the industry but i will say i i don't regret that in any way that zigzag has has provided me with a, an immense amount of knowledge and perspective from different directions and with it it almost feels like different parts of your life glued together i've met an incredible amount of tremendous people from different different areas that's one of the reasons why i've become so passionate about esg in its entirety is uh, having traveled a lot of the world and and worked with a lot of amazing different cultures different people and seeing how different things get done has created as far as i'm concerned a much stronger character in in how i see myself and also an openness and awareness that we're all just human beings we're all just trying to go from a to b and with that along the way you end up gaining a, a unique knowledge so it's uh, an, an experience and to that extent i i i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything in my past the the good and the bad i think it's all made who i am today and 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 i hope will make me in the future it's part of life as i say sometimes things work some things don't but as long as you're learning along the way and adapting eventually you will get to where you want to be that's what i'd say to anyone just uh, just you know don't give up oh well thank you so much this was just absolutely amazing speaking with you about right. careers your journey everything it's such a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you so much pleasure is mine thank you very much gary wow that was quite an episode what a pleasure to be speaking to wesley thompson today from avsin young about the future of ESG sustainability in our industry. Thank you so much again for our listeners. Thank you for joining today. Please don't forget to share, like and subscribe for the business of building. I'll see you again next time with a new guest. Bye.